Welcome to IntelliCast, powered by Skip. The Director of Education here at Skip, and we are absolutely thrilled to um, welcome Nicole Saradinkel from NetBase Quid. Um, this is going to be kind of a new topic for everybody, and uh, I think everyone's going to find the program interesting. I'm just going to do my really quick housekeeping thing, which basically says if we get disconnected uh, for some weather reasons or whatever, we will reschedule and contact everybody. And a reminder that this recording will be available on the Skip website within 48 hours. So. With that, Nicole, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for, for sharing your knowledge and um, welcome. Thank you, Kim. Um, so yeah, as Kim greatly introduced me, I am an associate in consulting services at NetBase Quid, and I am also Gen Z. Um, so I'm uniquely positioned to present on this topic as I research Gen Z and I am Gen Z. Um, so I have a special passion for consumer and cultural insights. That's a lot of what my work focuses on and NetBase Quid. Um, I service clients in socialist and natural language processing techniques to um, do projects um, in a blend of analyses for retail companies, tech companies, CPG, luxury goods. Um, and that experience is a variety of strategic questions. So I've worked on brand strategy, trends monitoring, reputational risk, even M&A and strategy. So it kind of runs the gambit in my experiences. And I kind of first encountered social listening as, when I was more focused on qualitative research. Um, fresh out of college, I studied English literature in college, um, was really unfamiliar with all this type of technology um, when I stumbled upon the technology at NetBase Quid and eventually started working for them. Um, so I love kind of that unique blend of qualitative and quantitative analyses, which natural language processing is naturally positioned for. Um, and for those of you not familiar with NetBase Quid, so we specialize in textual data analysis using natural language processing and AI and machine learning. Um, and this includes social listening, news, IP, companies, data, but really anything that is language in the world we can analyze. Um, and a quote I love to keep in mind is 80% of the world's data is in text and we can analyze that text. Um, right so yeah, so that's what makes our analyses kind of super interesting, um, especially when it comes to Gen Z. Um, and to kind of kick it right off, I am sure you guys are all familiar with the sea of headlines when you're having your morning coffee or whenever you like to read the news. Uh, but Gen Z, certainly, even on your LinkedIn feed, um, LinkedIn, it, like, I mean, Gen Z is kind of the hot phrase now in kind of research and what you're researching, what your competitors are researching. Um, it's kind of a key strategic question that a lot of people are trying to unravel in a whole host of ways from, you know, traditional polling, um, survey data, thought leadership pieces, um, it kind of runs the gamut in the questions people are trying to answer and the types of data people are after to better understand this generation. Um, because again, the Gen Z increasingly are coming into the workforce. Um, they are now in their mid-teens to 25 years old, which I am now. Um, so some of them are have already been in the workforce for over two years, um, which means they have money to spend, they have their own opinion, um, and they can have a lot of influence with their own opinion now, um, being in the workforce and rising in the workforce and kind of rising in influence over society. Um, 
But again, why is social media data important here? Um, first of all, Gen Z is the first digitally native generation. Um, you have to keep in mind, they, they don't remember a world where the internet did not exist. Um, they kind of came to, they don't remember a world when social media didn't exist. Um, they were kind of born into that world. Um, so they're highly comfortable, comfortable and adept with social media platforms. Um, and they're willing to speak in ways that um, kind of older generations may not be familiar with, or kind of not even have the comfort level to speak on social media the way Gen Z do. Um, and social media data, the way I love to think about it is that social media data offers you a 24-7 focus group. This gives you an organic conversation to peek into. Um, so you're not prompting them, what do, you about, what do you think about this product? What do you think about this brand? What do you think about this attribute? You are just kind of looking through a door into this natural conversation um, and what they're talking about organically. And you're hearing their perspective in their own language, in the way they speak, in the terms they use, um, which can enrich your kind of marketing activations or the way you think about them altogether. So um, I, yeah. I just want to ask a question about that. So this is seriously almost like you said, like a focus group 24 seven, because this is the way that, that this, that Gen Z communicates. So how can you, how can you get like specific insights from I mean, social media is endless, right? I mean, there's kajillion platforms and Gen Z uses all of them, I would imagine. How, how can you pull those, those specific insights out and make them actionable and, and usable? Great question. Um, yeah, definitely one of the main kind of questions is that, and for those of you familiar with social listening on the call, you're dealing with this wide pool of data of all demographies, all ages, all backgrounds. Um, and definitely... Um, analyzing a generation through that is definitely a unique lens, um, but through our own tactics, kind of we um, can use kind of queries to write queries around self-identifying places and really call down to this generation. And really to take a step back, we at NetBase Quid, yeah, we can analyze a whole range of platforms. Um, this goes from kind of your classic main social media channels like Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Tumblr, um, we look and look in forums and reviews, um, places like Reddit, um, public forums, um, even review content from places like Glassdoor, um, news and blogs. We're not necessarily talking about the news today, but the news can add as a great kind of overlay on your insights from social media. Um, and a big question as well is um, kind of using TikTok. And while we don't, we cannot scrape we cannot analyze TikTok within platform. There's a bunch of data mining and scraping you can do to uncover. TikTok um, data to then analyze, because obviously Gen Z is big on TikTok. Um, and today, um, we're definitely focusing on those main social media channels, as well as forum and review pages. And just to touch a bit on um, forums, especially, um, Reddit and Tumblr are great hosts of kind of passionate fan groups, niche groups that Gen Z is a part of. And as we know, Gen Z, they don't necessarily want to go to kind of their main huge forum, like forums like Twitter and Instagram all the time. They really want to kind of go into their fan bases on Reddit to talk about Olivia Rodrigo or talk about, you know, this cool niche hobby that they picked up. Um, so those, again, those are great resources um, to use in thinking about Gen Z. So with that in mind, how can, like, what kind of insights can you leverage from social media? I mean, is it usually like general stuff? Can you hyper-target? I mean, can you, is it able to be compartmentalized? I guess is a good way to think about it. 
Definitely. Um, and this goes into one of my favorite analogies as a researcher um, is the pasta analogy. And this is kind of how I like to think about understanding any demographic or a whole host of research questions I like to think about in this way. So when thinking about um, a specific demographic and their reaction to anything that you are kind of marketing towards them or see brands marketing towards them, you can't just think about those um, kind of attitudes in a vacuum because these, these are living, breathing people living their daily lives. And the way I like to think about it, yeah, is a boiling pasta analogy. So the pot really represents the attitudes, the values, and the lifestyle of this generation. Um, so these are high level, not related to brand or not related really to a specific sector you're after. This is really who is Gen Z? What is the Gen Z outlook, you know, on their future, on their finances? Or it could be questions like, how did the pandemic shape Gen Z? Um, and then the water drills down to more category and sector specific, specific questions to understand kind of a cohort's relationship towards it. So these are questions are like, what are Gen Z's alcohol preferences and habits? Um, how is Gen Z's perspective on luxury fashion changing? What are their snack preferences? Um, and then finally, the pasta, the thing that's kind of cooking in the middle, are questions about related to specific campaigns, product launches, events. Um, that's really specific. So all these kind of attitudes are, are helping cook these kind of specific mm -hmm. things that a brand or a company might be wondering. So what is the Gen Z reaction to the COVID vaccine? What is the Gen Z outlook towards the tequila category? Um, what brands hold the best sentiment for them in this vein? And social media data can really answer all these questions. Um, it's just about how you cut the data, how you build your queries, um, and are kind of really drilling down to what you're looking for. And today, um, I'll kind of be taking you through the whole pasta pot. Um, <laughs> first, we'll be looking at examining Gen Z's attitudes and values more generally, and how you can leverage social media data to kind of have this high level look at what their attitudes and values are. Um, then we'll look into a case study um, analyzing Gen Z's attitude towards COVID vaccination and specific campaigns within that. It's very interesting, um, which all these come from um, actual client cases, by the way. Um, and then finally, understanding Gen Z's alcohol preferences and habits and how alcohol affects these lives. So these three give you like a real three-tiered approach and kind of give you a flavor of, you know, those wide, big general questions on their values to the super specific, how are they reacting to specific campaigns? Um, and to jump right into our first one, um, to take a step back, um, this is a network of our of social conversation amongst Gen Z from January 2021 to May 2022. Um, and for those of you who have not seen a Quid network before, um, so I like to think about it as a beautiful Jackson Pollock painting, kind of gives me that vibe. Um, totally every, does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> every node, it represents a social media post. And those colors of those nodes, those are clusters or trends within the conversation. Um, and what's most important about this is the way those clusters connected are how those clusters relate to one another within the network. Um, so themes and conversations that are closer together will be closer together in the network. And kind of two opposite topics will be really far apart. Um, so this is a network map of social conversation, like I said, of just over a year of conversation. Um, this covers 135 million posts um, from mainstream and niche social channels from Twitter to Tumblr. Um, 
for those of you who are familiar with um, kind of social media query building, so with the natural language processing, you're, we're building traditional Boolean queries to get this data, and we're using self-identifying terms. So this means, you know, capturing posts that says, I'm 18, I'm 16, I'm 21, kind of that pool of Gen Z, as well as, you know, life stages. So I am graduating college or starting college or graduating high school. Um, so really, the way we track down this data is through using those self-identifying terms to, um, yeah, pull in genuine Gen Z conversation. Um, and we track conversation from a bit over a year because we really wanted um, a perspective on Gen Z amidst global pandemic lockdowns and afterwards. And kind of tracking key events, um, you know, such as like inflation concerns, um, et cetera. Um, and what you find is Gen Z really, they look at social media as kind of this ultimate learning and communication resource that they can tap into whenever they want. Um, so for example, they are very candid about their experiences finding a job and graduating college. Um, like you see these kind of big clusters like that turquoise cluster, um, job seeking and career advancement, huge topic, 12%. Recent university graduates or kind of conversation about graduating university made up 5% of conversation. Um, and this is really having them having candid conversations, talking about job offers, talking about negotiating raises, um, talking about how they can you know, start a job remotely for the first time. Um, and even like taboo subjects that um, kind of the older generation wouldn't necessarily talk about, like how much a salary they like were Like salaries, yeah. Yeah, they are very candidly talking about that online, um, which is a great insight in itself. And it makes social media data even richer to understand for this generation because they are so transparent online. Um, mental health was another big one. Yeah. Um, they talked a lot about the importance of managing mental health, especially in kind of a consistently volatile year and a half for them. Um, and again, safety and police reform was a huge topic, um, even in the aftermath of 2020. Like I said, this is from January 2021 onwards. So um, the George Floyd um, protests were in May 2020, if you think about it. So this is a year on in a bit, and this is still a very important issue for them. So it's a continuing, um, it's a continuing conversation. It doesn't just stop. Yeah, exactly. Um, especially on those kind of more niche communities like Reddit and Tumblr, um, where they kind of have their own communities, maybe donated, devoted to, you know, um, certain kind of social justice groups they're interested in or kind of social justice kind of interest groups, which is really interesting. Um, and just to back off that, this is another great visual. Um, so, so through the NetBase um, platform, we can give you this great kind of conversation word cloud. Um, so the red and green obviously represent sentiment, positive or negative. Um, and these are kind of the top words mentioned in the conversation overall. Um, we can also measure things like passion and sensitivity, like how passionately they're communicating something, which is very interesting. Um, but again, this kind of echoes off that. I think a great insight from this is, again, help is the big word in the middle because they're really using these platforms like self-help forums. Um, they want to seek out advice from their peers and know what their peers are thinking about or what they think about certain issues. Um, they also, you know, have a lot of financial anxiety, like especially like they're looking to platforms for financial advice, talking about saving, talking about investing, you know, maybe getting on the Bitcoin hype. Um, and then I think another particularly interesting one is missing experiences. Um, so you have words like heartbreaking, which is them referring to, you know, missing kind of an in-person college graduation or missing kind of birthdays or specific events that they really wanted to experience live and in person with people um, and they missed out on. And I think through social media, it's very, it's like, it's super telling that 
they um, are talking a lot about how they feel like they missed out on kind of key formative stages of their life um, when they're quite young um, because of COVID. And they're kind of making up for lost time, which is very interesting when we consider certain sectors um, throughout this presentation, which I'll get to. It's interesting to me because it's almost like it's almost like a, an open journal, essentially, to, you know, here's here's my here's what I'm going through. Right. Here's what I'm thinking about. And everybody kind of joins in, which I don't think and please correct me if I'm wrong, has ever been available for us to use as research or, you know, data points or whatever. Um, but that brings me to another question. These guys, this this generation, it's like there's a how can you tell if they're talking about a fad, right? Like, you know, like acid wash jeans. Yeah, I totally just, yeah, right. I just gave my age. And or like or a trend. Like there is a difference between the two. So how can how can we use this, you know, social listening social listening to, to differentiate it? Great question. Um, and again, this is where I emphasize kind of the organic conversation element of it is that because you are not prompting them as you would in a survey or a poll, um, they are speaking organically about these brands. Um, so yeah, and you're kind of getting a live and unfiltered take rather than, you know, I mean, if you're asking someone on a Reddit forum yourself, what do you think of Red Bull? They will tell you, but this is kind of live and unfiltered and kind of asking and us kind of just peeking in using social language, social listening and natural language processing. Um, and this is kind of a great example. So using that same conversation I just showed you, we pulled out kind of the four, like so the four top spoken brands about, not in any particular order. These were just four notable brands that came out in conversation. Um, and you can see like, they're talking very, like, you know, very off the cuff, not super kind of targeted, um, but rich enough that we can gather great insights from that. Like, I think the Starbucks is one of my favorite ones. You have someone on Tumblr just saying, I'm so excited for the Christmas drinks to hit in my campus Starbucks. So, you know, immediately from that, you say they love Starbucks because of, you know, it's novelty because of, you know, it's seasonal beverages. Um, and also in other quotes, they're talking about it as a social hub to meet people. Um, or Red Bull is another great one. And Red, this is a great example because it relates not only, you know, it, it relates to the drink category, but also relates to alcohol in some ways because someone says, I prefer Red Bull. I feel when I drink Monster, my teeth are going to f with all the sugar. So immediately that gives you insights on Red Bull, the brand, um, but then it can also tell you, okay, this is a pretty versatile drink because, you know, it's not too sweet and it kind of fits into their life in different ways. Um, Uber is a great one because again, you'll see later on, this is a very practical generation that they, they like to think in practicalities and the, and the most convenient ways to do something. Um, and they're also the generation that drives the least. And they talk, and so a great quote from Reddit for, for Uber is parking on game day is such a pain. Get an Uber to campus and walk around. You'll find plenty of tailgates that will shove a drink in your hand. Um, so again, you know, this emphasis on convenience, finding kind of that crafty solution to something. Um, and finally, YouTube is often mentioned because like I said, they love using um, social media as a skill builder and kind of learning things. And YouTube is kind of that ultimate resource with kind of educational videos. Um, and they're talking about YouTube. They're talking about get on YouTube, read a few books and learn cocktails and do that before you turn 21. Um, and people kind of using YouTube as to learn bartending, which is really interesting to think about. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, it's so funny because YouTube, right, when it first came up, this, it, it, it has a whole different 
um, I don't want to say use, but like it was originally just to watch, you know, silly, funny videos. And now it's really as a teaching tool. And from what you're showing us, people are using it for that. And I find that, I find that fascinating. Um, yeah. So it, it, there's clearly demographic differences between who uses these, you know, for example, YouTube. Um, how can we account for those differences in in this particular cohort? Like, you know, in ge in geography or political beliefs or you know, um, just things like that. Absolutely. Um, that's a great question. Yeah, because definitely, although age is a key um, kind of factor in defining Gen Z, they're also very different within that in, you know, geography, in kind of racial background and job, etc. Um, and one great um, example of this um, is for a particular client who um, was kind of a global level client overseeing many different regions. They really wanted to have a more nuanced understanding of Gen Z within different regions. Um, so with the NetBase platform, um, through kind of our own geofencing features, um, we can analyze, we can target social media data with in, within specific regions. Um, so for instance, for this is North America, Europe, there's not a name there, but the, you know that is Europe, <laughs> and Asia Pacific, um, and which is really interesting. I guess a one disclaimer is that this um, is restricted to English-speaking social media posts, um, but with the NetBase platform, we do have capabilities to um, do social listening in other languages. Um, you will just have to speak it to read the um, post yourself, um, but there is a variety of opportunities to even leverage different languages um, to get even more diverse in who you're covering. Um, so interesting nuances here. Um, we saw with Gen Z in North America, um, they talk a lot more about financial burdens and rigidity, um, especially because unlike Europe, um, they pay a lot more for college, for instance, and they're kind of taking out loans on their own behalf. Um, and they often talk about the kind of financial burden, the financial stress of that. Um, and also a mental health consciousness. So we saw more so than the other regions um, covered. Um, they are very focused on managing mental health and managing mental health is kind of very much ingrained into their daily language. So when they talk about self-care or taking mental health days from work, um, that's a lot more kind of within their colloquialisms when we look on social media posts. Um, in Europe, there's definitely um, more of a work-life balance of um, so on Reddit, I re anecdotally, um, we remember seeing kind of posts on Reddit about them considering job posts, job offers on what would give them the best work-life balance. And like, oh, this is a great job, but I know I'm just going to be stressed and working all the time and I don't want that. Um, so it was interesting to see for this region um, and ingrained sustainable habits. Um, so they're very sustainability conscious already um, and these are kind of no-brainer habits to them whereas in North America it's maybe more of a novelty so that was quite interesting to see um, and then Asia Pacific um, we had kind of the least volume of posts there obviously because there are those are where kind of there's more limits language-wise um, but we got a lot of um, great English-speaking posts especially from India um, and I think with Asia Pacific it was very interesting to see how um, competitive job seekers kind of were going online and talking about you know how to upskill themselves in interesting ways or you know they're trying to get a job at kind of a prestigious company or prestigious firm and then kind of discussing tactics around that um, and also the impact of stress so gen z in this region are most often speaking about 
mental health in the specific context of managing stress. Um, maybe not so in other ways, but really kind of, yeah, they're very conscious about that. Um, and it was very apparent in the research. It's, it's interesting to me that these three regions have, while the veins are the same in terms of like the general um, topics, I guess is the best word, they're extremely different. And I'm wondering how much culture has to do with that. You know, you're saying that, you know, in the a lot of people think of folks in Japan about, um, you know, students, you know, getting into prestigious universities or landing that proper job, whereas work-life balance doesn't necessarily seem to be as important as it is to folks in Europe. So this is a pretty interesting measuring tool, in my opinion. But are there, are there other social, like data sources that you might see or use that could be used to add like more depth, more color, I guess is a good way to, to, to look at it, um, to, to these social media insights. Like, are, are we, is there other ways to do it or other things yeah. you might suggest? Definitely. Um, and this is kind of a very far, fun part of the research where we can get quite creative. So when you're looking at your social media data and if you want something to kind of enrich it or make it more robust, um, kind of the possibilities are endless um, and it, it can kind of vary from category to category. Um, but this is kind of a great entrance into our case study around when we studied youth vaccination and Gen Z vaccination. Um, so I don't know if many of you recall, but last summer, um, kind of a surprising cohort that kind of came up that was key to target in vaccination rollout in the US was Gen Z, um, because a lot of them felt like they were, you know, healthy individuals and COVID was often talked about as something that older people would kind of more naturally succumb to um, and it, it wasn't as much of a concern to them but there was a big focus in um, kind of the U.S. government as well as retailers rolling out vaccines um, to get this cohort vaccinated um, and one of our clients was very interested in understanding um, conversation around conversation with Gen Z and vaccination um, and for this, um, so we covered kind of social media conversation um, and we developed this great map of per capita mentions um, of vaccination and how they were speaking about it. Um, so yeah, again, this is like a great um, graphic in terms of looking at kind of the concentration of conversation across the US um, and where they were speaking about the most per capita. And then on the right, um, we just died, we got another great graphic from the New York Times on full vaccination rates. Um, so this is a live graphic that you know was updated over time brilliantly by the New York Times. Um, and we kind of wanted to do a side-by-side -side comparison of that and see what that could possibly tell us about youth vaccination. Um, so two great kind of standouts. So Minnesota actually had the highest per capita social media activity around youth vaccination. Um, but, the, but a significant variance in vaccination by county. Um, so the social media activity, when we looked further, it shows a highly diverse set of opinions. Um, you know, many kind of who are maybe more liberal, sharing New York Times articles, um, while other parents kind of assert, uh, some parents asserting kind of protection from children, um, and like parental consent and kind of emphasizing parental consent laws. So really interesting variants there that kind of told our client who was involved in vaccination rollout um, that that is a kind of a trickier region for them and kind of they need to think more strategically about, you know, vaccination rollout, marketing tactics, et cetera. Um, Missouri was another interesting one. So Missouri had the second highest social media activity while having amongst the lowest vaccination rates, um, which told our client, you know, they are 
very passionate and talking about it a lot. It's very top of mind to them, um, but gave them a great strategic insight about kind of sensitivity and marketing materials or, you know, making sure like resources are kind of very accessible and kind of non-confrontational. Um, so those were two kind of great insights we developed from that. And again, this is a great side-by-side -side and it shows you how much you can enrich social media data by leveraging something even from desktop research. Um, so it's a great it's a great litmus test for what you already have. It's also a, a great kind of additional flavor to what you already have, kind of giving you something a bit more. Because while we can understand, okay, who's talking about this the most, um, when you look at it with actual vaccination rates, that really kind of takes your data to a whole other level. And piggybacking off that, um, we wanted to go even broader and not just think about Gen Z, but also think about um, their parents um, because parental consent came up a lot in this conversation. Um, so then we just kind of looked at kind of conversation around youth vaccination more broadly. So even beyond the demographic and just giving you this whole pool of how people are talking about how to get this cohort vaccinated. Um, and we saw parental consent make up a large portion of conversation. It was talked a lot about Gen Z and kind of their parents not wanting them to get vaccinated. And then we looked at broader conversation and we saw this kind of as like a shoehorn issue um, mm -hmm. that was kind of preventing a lot of people or kind of a very key political issue that was interesting in many ways. Um, and we saw, we saw particularly that political issue talked a lot about Florida, Texas, Tennessee, um, and North Carolina. Um, and California and New York have high share of voice, as you see in the graphic, um, but kind of without clear stance on the topic, which is interesting. Um, and then, yeah, so like I said, like leveraging social media data in tandem um, gave us a great outlook towards COVID vaccination. And again, going beyond just Gen Z and thinking about their parents, especially um, because kind of the Gen Z cutoff point um, is around kind of 14, 15. Um, those are people who are still living with their parents. They're in high school. They don't have their own income. Um, so kind of understanding that cohort's parents' attitudes even can enrich your data. And I mean, they're, they're the people with the, kind of the buying power. So when you're thinking about other sectors, like, you know, maybe CPG or, you know, gaming or apparel, it's their parents who are often, that like the money is coming out of their pocket. So it's not so much even Gen Z, it's in the lower part of the generation, but it's Gen Z plus their parents, um, which is another interesting way to look at this data. So, okay. So, so is there a way to actually leverage the conversation of Gen Z, like for, for competitive analysis? So you know, you're saying that the parents really are taking a big part of it, right? Because they're the ones who are spending, but it's the Gen Z who have the opinions and the conversations. So is there a way to kind of draw all that together to create a competitive analysis for things like, I don't know, for like, like events, like concerts or, um, a, you know, like you said, a campaign to, you know, get people vaccinated or, you know, just that, that you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so to carry on with this theme around youth vaccination, um, for this particular analysis, we also analyzed reactions to Olivia Rodrigo's White House appearance. Um, so Olivia Rodrigo, many of you know, she's kind of hailed as, you know, a Gen Z pop star, one of the first Gen Z pop stars, um, even though there have been many already. But anyway, it's just Gen Z talking <laughs> about my pop music affiliations. Um, so Olivia Rodrigo's White House appearance was very interesting. So this was in July 2021. So this was so the White House kind of identified this as kind of a strategic concern and getting youths vaccinated. Um, in July 2021, they invited Olivia Rodrigo to the White House to talk about um, 
why she got vaccinated, why it's important, why people in her age demo should get vaccinated. Um, and this was a great um, kind of specific event that we could analyze to see, okay, so this is how Gen Z feels more generally. This is a specific thing that's happening that's targeted towards them, maybe a bit on the nose from the White House, kind of picking the Gen Z pop star, um, but very interesting nonetheless. Um, so we can kind of dive in to social media. And I remember at the outside believing, okay, this is a bit like on the nose. Everyone can see right through this, but what are they saying? But when you actually look, and this kind of goes back to smaller social media channels. Um, so a lot of Olivia Rodrigo super fans in the Gen Z cohort um, are on Tumblr and Reddit talking about her. Um, so there's the Reddit thread Popheads, which just talks about pop music. And of course, all of them were talking about this event um, and what it meant to them and what they thought. Um, and you have a couple example posts that on the left that I put over a picture of her. So um, a lot of these reference to her songs. So hopefully you guys are well versed in the um, Liver Rigo discography. Um, but you know, they say get vaccinated so you too can look happy and healthy. Um, and, you know, people saying strange, but honestly, I think this makes her even better to speak on a subject like this. Um, a lot, I think a lot of people are waiting to see how initial vaccination goes before getting it. And it sounds like she had the same perspective, but decided it was safe. So again, someone kind of personally relating to that celebrity appearance, thinking about their own kind of judgment in that case. Um, another great like pun on her song, Good For You. Good for you, but make it about the health benefits of vaccines and how they're good for you. Um, so again, really interesting to see like on this personal level, people like relating to a certain celebrity thing. I thought maybe thought they thought that, but now they're interested in vaccination and what does that mean for me? Um, and I guess just as an aside is like, obviously a lot of these kind of fan pages or like Reddit threads, they go beyond just the Gen Z cohort. Like there are older people who talk on them. Um, but again, um, we do kind of a lot of cutting back of the data in terms of cutting down to people who are, again, talking about self-identifying terms. So in this case, maybe someone who is still going to school or someone who is kind of in their early days in the workforce or someone even saying their age or that they live with their parents. Like there's ways to kind of cull down the data to make sure that it's, it's still about Gen Z because there is a lot of kind of noise out there, um, but there are opportunities to kind of cut back and make sure you're still like targeting that specific cohort. Um, and then kind of switching gears a bit um, to alcohol, because I know we were talking about how do we get more specific? Um, so we did another great analysis on kind of Gen Z attitudes towards alcohol um, and kind of the traits that define their attitudes towards alcohol, but also, you know, specific products um, and services that they might be interested in. Um, and I'll kind of kind of go through four attributes and then we could talk about specific brands as well, which would be really interesting. Um, so what we see in social media data um, about Gen Z, so this is specifically a cover their conversations about alcohol. Um, and this is very distinctive about Gen Z. And I think a lot of um, kind of clients and kind of thought leaders have already spoken about this. But Gen Z is a cohort that they're very interested in not drinking and kind of dabbling and not drinking whatsoever or being very moderate with their drinking. Um, as you saw, as you might remember previously um, with the Uber example and also um, with them talking about safety and social conversation, they are a cohort very interested in safety and they're interested in personal health, um, which altogether kind of give them a more, um, an attitude towards alcohol that's categorized by moderation um, and moderating their consumption um, sober curious is a great um, kind of phrase thrown around about them. Sober curious. Um, 
Yeah. Um, and you said great uh, Twitter quote. I had one margarita last night. First drink since December. Felt like crap this morning. I like weed better anyway. Um, and that's three sentences that give you so much about that generation in one go. Um, first of all, they don't mind not drinking for extended periods of time. Um, second of all, they don't like the side effects and that kind of inhibits their lifestyle in some way. Um, and third of all is that they're very comfortable with um, kind of marijuana use um, and cannabis products, um, which you'll see kind of further on as well. Um, a second one that's great is experiencing travel to the fullest. Um, so again, this relates when we looked at broader conversation and them feeling like they miss out on experiences in turn Gen Z cohort, they see travel as a way to experience life to the fullest. Um, they're all about travel. Um, they save up their money for it. Um, they love kind of special experiences. Um, and in the past year, conversation about travel surged by about 11% amongst this cohort. Um, and they really see alcohol as kind of something that adds to that special experience. So, you know, whether that's a Guinness at the airport or having margaritas in Mexico, they see that as kind of a one of the many true authentic experiences they can have in a place um so you have a guy blogging on wordpress who he um you know has his own travel blog talking about his own travels as a gen zer um and he's talking about how he resisted the urge to buy a pint in the airport so he could have a guinness in you know in, in a proper irish pub in galway um and that's just a testament to how passionately they, they feel about you know seeking out authentic experiences and then to add to that, how alcohol and kind of beverages play a role in that. Um, and you see top terms in conversation, you know, terms like tr experience, graduation, traveling. Um, they're very excited to experience those events to the fullest. But all the while keeping everything in their moderation, right? Because that, yep. like, they're not going to go out to a pub and drink 40 pints and get, you know, silly or whatever it seems to be all about the actual experience as opposed to the, the experience of being where they are as opposed to going out to a bar and getting drunk. Like if that's, that's what it's exactly. Like. Yep. Exactly. And we say high on life as a joke, but after they were inside for a year and a half, they are feeling yeah, high on life. <laughs> I would imagine. Yes. <laughs> um, okay. And then two more interesting traits that came out of this. Um, creativity and showing off kind of relates to that YouTube example I gave. Um, so again, they use social media as that ultimate learning resource. Um, and when it comes to alcohol, they're leveraging, you know, platforms like YouTube or Reddit threads to learn bartending skills and learn cocktails. Um, they love mixing cocktails. They love linking each other to videos about cocktails. Um, and, you know, this is someone in Europe saying since turning 18, I started to become interested in making different types of alcoholic and non-alcoholic drinks. Um, so again, this shows kind of, you know, them wanting to be very versatile and finding interesting beverages that they can make for their friends and family. Um, and then finally, marijuana as an alternative. Um, this is a very interesting one. Um, obviously, they're not the first generation to, um, you know, smoke weed or consume cannabis products, but they, they are the first generation where it's becoming legal in many places. Um, and many of them speak of it as equal or better alternatives to alcohol. Um, and they often speak about it in the vein of it being more beneficial to personal health than alcohol. Um, so this is a great Tumblr quote. Again, very dry off the cuff. I turned 21. Why would I care about drinking when I can legally buy weed in a few states? And I kind of sort of online. Um, 
alcohol makes me depressed. Weed makes me hella unstressed. Simple math. Uh, so some, um, you know, Gen Z jokes um, for you guys. Um, but again, very interesting um, how it relates to their attitudes towards personal health as well. You know, not wanting some, like not wanting to consume too much. Um, so it inhibits their lifestyle or makes them feel bad. And also that mental health concern, um, like what will make them, make them feel mentally better in the long run is something that they're always kind of thinking about in a kind of organic subconscious way. It's always kind of lingering under the surface. Um, and then finally, to drill down to more specifics, um, this is a great, on the left, you see time, a timeline visual. So a timeline is a great visual um, to kind of show you kind of conversation volume over time, to map surges, to see when it drops, um, to see big spikes in sentiment or, or you know, valleys in sentiment. What are they talking about super positively? What are they talking about super negatively? Kind of tracking surges like that. Um, so for alcohol categories, it's very interesting. So we tracked beer and wine and then spirits conversation. Um, so beer and wine, you saw big surges in September when people were going back to school and going to freshers events. Um, and then you also saw a spike around New Year's, um, people talking about champagne and Prosecco, um, which is super interesting. Um, and then the spirits conversation, another interesting insight is that spirits had lower conversation overall in comparison to beer and wine, beer and wine, um, but also a great variety of kind of branded beverages mentioned. Um, so vodka had the highest share of conversation. Um, a lot of people talked about how easy it was to mix with different beverages they were making. Again, talking about that creativity and wanting kind of super versatile um, ingredients to put into their drinks. Um, and conversation for this really spiked around the holiday season in December um, and then throughout last summer. Um, and then notable brands in this case. So I think Guinness, I mentioned it before, but it was actually one of the top mentioned beverages overall, um, often mentioned in relation to travel experiences and special occasions. Um, so a lot of people um, talking about their first legal drink being Guinness or them traveling to Ireland with their family and having Guinness. Um, Smirnoff was a top mentioned spirits brand. Again, I, I touched a bit on about the versatility of vodka and how it could fit to many different cocktails they're making and sharing with each other online. Um, and it's also something that they kind of perceive as having good value, yeah, being very versatile. Um, and they also talked about kind of offshoots of Smirnoff, like Smirnoff Ice, um, which is very kind of low alcohol content. And a lot of them talk about drinking it in summer. Um, Patron was um, a highly mentioned um, brand overall, um, but mentioned as kind of the best tequila brand. Um, and this kind of stood out to us um, for many reasons. I mean, we talked about moderation and Patron is like pr probably one of the more expensive tequila brands, um, but many Gen Zers talk about, you know, swearing by it when they make a margarita. Um, but again, it brings you an interesting conversation that we just spoke about moderation and how they're not necessarily the cohort that wants to go out and kind of get really drunk on many drinks. Um, maybe they're kind of saving themselves for special occasions or special brands in that case. Um, so which is an interesting insight in itself is that they're talking about more expensive brands. They're also talking about moderation. How do, how do these relate to one another? And they're kind of interesting research rabbit holes you can go down there. Um, but this is kind of a taster session of kind of all the more specific things you can drill down to with this cohort. So kind of tail like tailing on what you've just said How, what are the i'm a researcher right and i'm trying to get my arms around this generation and what they they think and know and how that's going to 
benefit me and my business. What are the types of questions I should be asking myself? Like what, what, what should I be looking for? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm studying these insights and I want to make sure that I'm hitting the target. Any definitely. Yeah. So I think this goes back first of all to the pasta analogy (laughs) and that I think, um, Sometimes um, when we're kind of getting lo- like, you know, getting heated about our competition or analyzing competitors, we're thinking about like, okay, I want to know what this generation thinks about this specific brand at this specific time um, or this specific event um, when that is useful, but that it's not, that shouldn't be the entirety of your research question, so to speak. I think it's always co- best to consider that possible, the boiling pasta. So it's like, yes, you should think about, you know, what shape pasta you want and, you know, having that in the bowl, but you're also thinking about, you know, it's boiling in water and what pot it's within. Um, I think it's important to think about, to broaden your focus area um, sometimes and think about, okay, what is influencing their attitude towards, you know, this specific brand? So to take, you know, Patron as an example, um, they're not just thinking about Patron in a vacuum. They're thinking about it in the context of they love drinking on special occasions um, you know, they love, they're more moderate, um, you know, etc. And then to broaden that even further, they love special occasions because they missed out on them for two years, um, you know, because they maybe have less money to spend um, because, you know, they're paying student, they're paying off student loans and they're also very health conscious and they want to help live healthy lives. Um, so I think that's one important aspect is that, you know, maybe going broader than just thinking super specifically and thinking about what's really boiling you know, that pasta or that egg or whatever you're having for lunch. If you boiled something, (laughs) you're not just thinking about that one thing. You're thinking about all the factors around it. Um, And then I think a second question to consider, um, especially, you know, this generation is kind of the most diverse generation in the U.S. and diversity will only over time. Um, You know, yeah, I think social media data is um, particularly wonderful Um, because you are tapping into a very diverse set of people all talking about social media. Um, You know, like not everyone universally is on social media, but it represents a huge chunk of people who are talking organically about what they want. Um, And I think sometimes people can miss the mark um, when they're not considering how many perspectives they have in in kind of their research um, and really going beyond, you know, maybe what they know or what they're comfortable with and saying, how can we go a bit further to include more voices, to include more perspectives? Um, because again, like thought leadership is great, polling is great, um, but they have their limits. And social media, of course, has its limits. But I think what's important is to consider a diverse set of sources and consider how you're garnering as many rich perspectives as you can for your research. I think those are two things. You know, you said that, you know, polling is great. This is, this is constant. It's, it's alive and it's, and it's moving all the time. And I think that's something that also has to be taken into consideration when utilizing social media, social listening, whatever we choose to call it, because it's going to change in real time. Um, So maybe thinking about that when, when trying to gather that data, that research, those insights might not be, might be a little, thing we could add at the end, like a little comma or something. Exactly. And it's very dynamic, right? Yes. Yeah. Ever moving, ever changing, unprompted. Um, And it's not, all I keep thinking about the whole time you were talking was nothing is sugarcoated. And I think that's, you know, this is real. It's, it's, 
you know, these folks don't know that that we're mining their data, you know, getting their opinion. They're talking to each other because this is the way that they communicate and they communicate in, in a real way. And I think that um, the deeper one dives in terms of trying to get the information from this generation, it's going to be completely different than anything else that um, any sort of researcher has done before in terms of studying, you know, baby boomers or Gen X or, you know, whatever. I just think that it, it, it's an interesting perspective on how to look at Gen Z because like you said, they don't communicate in a way that perhaps would be considered traditional. So, yeah. And with that, Nicole, I want to thank you so much for, for sharing your knowledge. Folks, if you have questions, uh, feel free to type them in. If not, I am happy to put you in touch with Nicole and uh, she will be more than happy to respond. I can, I can, uh, I can make an introduction for you, but thank you so much for taking time and, um, you know, explaining and, and kind of going through the, the thought process behind this, this generation and how we should mine the data. Um, thank you for being here and um, folks, thanks for joining us. I hope everyone has a great rest of your day. Nicole again, thanks. Thank you. Oh, I okay. think we have one. Oh, we have a question. Oh. Okay. What are Jen's Jen? What is Gen Z's feeling about healthcare? Ah, uh, well, I think we need another hour to completely unpack that. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I think off the top of my head, I think um, you know they're very interested in like a more proactive way to manage healthcare. I think we spoke that about that a little bit. Um, you know, they're very they're less about kind of the, the reactive um, and they're more about kind of like, okay, how can I manage this? So I'm in the best health kind of over time. Um, I think also kind of financial anxiety might come into play um, and, you know, having kind of agency in terms of costs and resources as well. Um, and then I think also like mental health literacy is like very important to them. Like, as you saw, like they're talking about, yeah, like, they're talking about mental health not just as its own topic, but kind of ingrained in their kind of daily lives. Like, oh, I'm taking a mental health day from work. Like, I don't know how many people would have said that 10 years ago that they're taking yeah. a mental health day from work. They'd be like, you're taking a what? Exactly, yeah. Um, so I think, you know, mental health literacy is super important to them. And um, somebody, yeah. uh, Stacey also pointed out, you know, they're at the point where they have to come off their parents' plants, right? So that's a whole different ball of wax that we'd have to unpack. You know, that's... Yeah. That's some, you know, which brings me before I actually get into the, where this is going to take me folks, this recording will be available on the skip website in about probably by the end of the day tomorrow. So we'll get that up for you as fast as we can. Um, but to that point about health insurance, right. And having to provide, they have, how do they feel about, there's some questions about how do Gen Z's feel about financial literacy and banking yeah. products and financial institutions and you know, like things like that? That's a great question. Um, and it's something that, yeah, um, I've wanted to do more research on myself because again, like you guys saw in the conversation, um, they're very open in talking to one another about kind of financial literacy and kind of saving and their financial habits on in places like Reddit, you know, Twitter, Tumblr, um, you name it. Like they're very interested in it from a very early age. Um, which I think makes them stand out in a lot of ways. Um, they're, a very, they're a generation categorized for their practicality and, you know, thinking ahead. And I think 
especially because they came of age and, you know, graduated college and started in the workforce in a very socially, politically volatile time through COVID, um, through kind of the economic situation from that, um, and all that came with it. Um, I think they're very much like holding their cards to their chest and wanting to make the most of their financial lives as soon as they can. Um, and I think, you know, they want to learn. I think, I think that's a great, yeah, I think that's a great takeaway for what they think about financial literacy is that they're very open to learn um, and they want to learn in kind of their own kind of bite-sized peer-to-peer like social way. Like there, I, it's very interesting. Like they talk about TikToks they watch. They use TikTok a bit like Google and that like they love learning yeah. from TikTok and there are social media influencers who are specifically financial literacy, social media influencers, and they're watching kind of 30 second TikToks on like tactics to save money. Um, and they're very interested in that. Um, yeah, and they're a generation who want to make the most of their future. They're thinking about saving, they're thinking about investing uh, way sooner than other generations, I think even. Um, and yeah, they're willing to learn and they want to learn in kind of engaging ways. Um, and that's definitely what I'll say, their attitude towards finances. I mean, there's a specific question in the Q&A, which I don't know if you, I think you have to actually do the research on, you know, do they still bank? Like, do they still open bank accounts? I don't know if you can answer that question. I think that that has to be, that's like one of the questions that's one when you would, that you would research. If I'm less yeah, wrong. definitely. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the, I think there's a lot of interesting data about kind of them using a lot of app-based kind of money transfer platforms. Um, I mean, I don't think banking will abolish overnight. Uh, I'm not yeah. sure if the generation do that. <laughs> um, that'll be something we need to look into more specifically. Um, but definitely their attitude towards finances, I think, make them unique. Um, and yeah, maybe even tie them back to, you know, the silent generation from a century ago when they went through world wars and their own yeah. volatile events, um, which is an interesting history case. If only we had social media back then. Um, but anyway, you yeah. Yeah, but yeah, very interesting. <laughs> Um, okay. Well, thank you again, Nicole. And thanks everybody for your, for your questions and answers. Um, well, your questions and Nicole for your answers. Thank you so much for being with us today. Awesome. Thank Have you guys so day. much. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.